and welcome to this month's episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, our podcast editor, Krithiga, interviewed Leila Talogian. They discussed the Global Week for Action on Modern Slavery, its intersection with gender, poverty and the climate crisis, and engaging young people in human rights activism. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is Kritika Narayanan, Women in Foreign Policy's podcast editor. And today, I will be talking with Leila Tulajian. Leila is a teenage human rights activist based in the United States of America. Leila works to speak out against forced labor and human trafficking. Leila recently organized a global week for action against modern slavery in the month of May. Thank you for joining with us today, Leila. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Leila, you have been actively involved in raising awareness on modern slavery. Can you briefly tell us about yourself and also about why and how you started this campaign? Yeah, so I'm very young. I'm only 18. I'm still in high school. Um, I was born in New Jersey. I lived there for a while. I live in California right now. You know, I am not a professional who has studied this issue for decades. I am not a politician. I am not a, like, the head of a huge international human rights nonprofit. I am, like, just a kid from a small town going to high school. So I am not like as, I think as qualified as many other people are who have been, you know, working in this for this issue for decades, but I'm just someone who cares a lot and wants to talk about it. And I think we've seen a trend um, in the last few years with a lot of like other young people sort of like, you know, who may not have studied issues for decades, who may not be like professors or any of this, but who are, who do care very deeply and are talking about this. Um, again, personally to me, I talk about this a little bit. I'm on the debate team and debate has been a big influencer for me for understanding issues, for learning about new issues and sort of motivating me to realize what is going on in the world. Um, so yeah, I would say that sort of is a little bit about me and like kind of where I come from. So I think for this specific issue, I believe I was researching for a debate round and I found something about like modern slavery and like, wait, like slavery can't still exist. Like that doesn't make sense. And I started digging more and more and more into this issue. And the more I learned, just the more like completely appalled and frustrated I became. So that really was my spark for this issue. But I think becoming uh, involved in activism in general really happened at a much younger age. You know, I grew up like reading my time for kids articles about Malala. I grew up hearing speakers, um, Emma Gonzalez talk about like gun violence when I was in middle school and just hearing so many other young activists speaking out about what mattered to them. It really made me understand from a young age that I have the power to speak out about what matters to me. And that even though like I'm still in high school, I can still advocate for what I think is important and young people have a really, really big impact. So I think that really was the spark for me wanting to get involved in activism. And I think just learning about this issue and seeing what little was being done and reading stories of people who had fallen victim to human trafficking and forced labor and just the horrific atrocities that were happening, really those two elements combined. And that was really what led me on this um, advocacy journey. Having a day or a week specifically to raise awareness about modern slavery is a great idea to spread awareness about the issue and also engage more people in the conversation. What would you say are the key achievements of your campaign? Yeah, I would say so. I would say the day of awareness and the week of action are really key um, achievements of my campaign and of my advocacy. I feel like uh, what I'm most proud of is being able to mobilize people from all around the world and being to build coalitions with not just human rights activists, but environmental activists as well, because this is also an issue deeply connected with climate change. I've been able to work with groups like Fridays for Future Nigeria and other um, environmental groups, because again, it is so important to build coalitions and to tackle this issue like from every level. And I also 
like mobilizing more and more people is important because like I said, this is often not an issue many people know exists. And if we don't start creating this conversation, we're never going to actually like make tangible change. Talking specifically about modern slavery, how pervasive is this issue in the world? Yeah, so modern slavery is actually an umbrella term. It covers multiple practices like forced labor, debt bondage, forced marriage and human trafficking. And it basically encapsulates the most extreme forms of exploitation, you know, where someone they're physically unable to leave and they are forced, you know, to work for another person's exploitation, typically economic benefit. Uh, debt bondage, for example, um, is the most common form of forced labor. And it occurs basically when someone takes out a loan and is forced to work to pay it off. And very often this is a person in extreme poverty who does not have many options. And again, they are often never allowed to leave, you know, the terms of the loan are not fair, not agreed upon. And they end up forced to work basically without end to supposedly pay off this loan. They're not really being paid any money. And this debt can be passed on for generations. We've seen family members, generations trapped in forced labor in awful and inhuman conditions. We've seen, you know, young children being forced into like brick kilns, being forced to weave rugs, not getting paid, not being able to leave and not being able to go to school. And so really it uh, forced marriage, the type of modern slavery, uh, sex trafficking, all types of forced labor. So it really is, there are a lot of different ways the issue manifests and it's often driven um, again by greed, by poverty, by a bunch of different factors. It is very hard to estimate because, again, we don't know all the cases that exist, but most estimates, according to the United Nations, there are roughly 40.3 million individuals around the world trapped in forms of modern slavery and also human trafficking is actually the fastest crime uh, growing around the world. I think human rights have always been really, really important to me, and I was just so appalled that this issue exists and not enough is being done and so many people don't know about it, and I was really upset and frustrated at the state of the world, and I felt like I should try to speak out about it, try to do something about it, because like not enough was being done, so I kind of wanted to do my part in that sense. Leda, as you said, modern slavery encapsulates a lot of things. It's a huge issue. It involves human trafficking, forced labor, and forced marriages. Do you think people really understand the various differences between all of these terms? Yeah, well, modern slavery can be a blanket term to describe all of these. So like forced marriage is a type of modern slavery, but not every form of modern slavery exists in forced marriage. One big misconception, I think, is, is people think of human trafficking as only trafficking across international borders, but that isn't true. Even for human trafficking to exist, um, it does not require any movement. Also, there's a big misconception about human trafficking. People may think that it always means forced prostitution. In reality, like modern slavery and human trafficking can pretty much mostly be used interchangeably because again, even if a person is forced to do unpaid physical labor in their hometown, it is still considered a form of trafficking. So I think there's a little bit of misconception with that term specifically. Which specific areas in the world does modern slavery exist the most? Yeah, so modern slavery, like you said, it exists pretty much in every country in the world. Um, however, it is most like it is exists most in places where there is extreme poverty, because then people are most vulnerable to falling victims to these forms of exploitation. So we see uh, modern slavery and poverty really correlate together. If poverty is the root cause of all forms of modern slavery, does Eliminating poverty help us in eliminating modern slavery as well. So while eliminating poverty may not eliminate the issue entirely, it would significantly reduce it as being uh, impoverished is a root cause of someone falling victim to modern slavery. If you are in extreme poverty, you don't have enough resources to really even feed yourself. You don't have a lot of options. Sorry, you're much more likely to fall victim to um, human traffickers. 
Who would you say are most vulnerable to modern slavery? I would say definitely migrants. Um, migrants have extremely high rates of um, being victims of human trafficking, of forced labor. And I think a way to also, you know, help reduce modern slavery is to sort of help support migrants, help create more safe, legal and accessible channels for migration and movement. Because again, we've seen migrants again, uh, being victims of organ trafficking, being victims of human trafficking. So migrants are at a huge risk. Also women and girls, nearly three quarters of modern slavery's victims are women and girls. And then also, again, people in poverty. Lela, do you think that women and young girls are disproportionately affected by this issue of modern slavery? Yeah, often, you know, women and children don't have sort of uh, like most of the world, the same sort of resources as men, the same sort of freedoms as men. We've also seen, like I said, forced marriage is a type of modern slavery, which almost entirely impacts women and girls. We've also seen uh, forced prostitution. Women and girls face much higher rates of being forced into prostitution and even forced labor in a lot of cases. A lot of women and girls do fall victim to it, which may seem surprising. Have you interacted with any of the victims of modern slavery and has your activism helped them in any specific way? I mean, I'm not a social worker. I'm not trained in um, assisting victims of modern slavery. So that's not something I personally do. Um, but I have like um, communicated virtually with people who were um, victims of human trafficking. And I think one important thing that really needs to be done is providing more services to support victims of modern slavery um, because many people can actually fall victim to re-trafficking and this actually happens a lot. So I think we definitely need to invest more in like places where victims of human trafficking, victims of modern slavery can get a good job um they can get a place to live they can have access to healthcare services and i think that is one big way we can combat this issue why do you think that it is difficult for governments of the world to eradicate modern slavery what are they lacking what are they missing I think there's a lot of issues or a lot of reasons that sort of come together. Um, I think, you know, for one, it is so pervasive and things like covert operations of forced labor or human trafficking are so difficult to like figure out all of them, see where they're happening because a lot of them are super, super covert. Plus we see forced labor is very integrated into our supply chains. And unfortunately, most companies um, will put profit over people's lives. So they don't really care about cleaning up their supply chains. You know, we've seen um, Nestle, this huge chocolate company was using forced labor in Africa. They were like accused of doing this. And like the case ended up not even like getting prosecuted to the court sort of threw it out. So we can see greed is a huge issue. Um, we can also see um, like, again, inequality and poverty and income inequality is so rampant and equality around the world is so, so rampant because people are living in extreme conditions of poverty and not a lot is being done about that. Again, they are much more vulnerable. We gender inequality coming in and also we see the climate crisis and COVID-19 really really exacerbating this issue. It exists in developed nations too but underdeveloped nations have been more historically exploited by this issue and again we see uh, these big countries from I think it was it was a certain branch of Nestle from a very wealthy country and again we've seen historically wealthy countries exploiting underdeveloped countries um, and so we've seen in the past, again, like these big companies profiting off of forced labor, of unpaid labor um, in Africa and in the global south. While you were doing your activism, have you ever been faced with any personal threats or attacks from corporations? Because your work, your activism directly impacts these big exploitative corporations which profit off from modern slavery. Also, Lela, what are some of the key personal challenges 
you face while doing your activism? Uh, I'm very lucky. I have not yet, and hopefully I will not be in the future, but there are so many issues right now with young activists um, being targeted, being attacked, and receiving threats. And while that has not happened to me, luckily, it is a real issue, and it does happen to a lot of people. I think definitely getting people to listen was definitely by far the biggest challenge. A lot of people, because they aren't aware on this issue, you're not like very going to be very open to jump and support and get involved with the campaign. You don't even know what it's about. So I think sort of like breaking that barrier of getting people to understand why this issue is important, why it's growing right now, why it is, in my opinion, one of the largest, if not the largest human rights crisis we face right now. And sort of just getting people to understand was a big, uh, probably the biggest issue for me. Lela, because of the pandemic, a lot of work in many different fields are done virtually right now. So how has that impacted your activism? I think it definitely, um, on one hand, obviously it makes it harder because it is much harder to meet with people in person, much harder to have huge in-person events, but also I think forcing people to um, use computers and use Zoom as hard as it has been and as much as I, you know, Zoom meetings were always like, you know, when I had to go to school on Zoom, it was obviously very annoying, but I think really like honing in on our technological skills and learning how to connect with people over technology can actually help you with activism because again if someone's on the other side of the globe you can't meet with them face to face like we're having this conversation right now i'm in the us you're in india so i think um technological skills is super super important for like working with activists around the world because of covid i haven't really been able to travel anywhere but i worked um virtually i've been able to talk to a lot of people i was working with this one um other young young man who uh, speaks out against modern slavery in the united kingdoms and i think it was really great to see another young person working on this issue and having his own initiatives happening and so i think being able to work with a lot of other young people on this issue is really really important Lena, how does issues such as climate change and the pandemic affect modern slavery? Yeah, so with the climate crisis, again, we've seen the destabilizing impact of climate change, um, which disproportionately harms countries in the global south, even though these countries aren't really contributing to the climate crisis. We've seen it increases the risk of exploitation for many people. In Cambodia, for example, entire families have been trapped in debt bondage in brick kilns after the climate crisis have destroyed like their farming livelihoods. Um, for COVID, we can see the economic impacts of COVID have also put more people at risk of exploitation. Again, certain groups have become more vulnerable, particularly uh, women, children, and migrant workers who were already like extra vulnerable. So it sort of increased these like, um, it sort of exacerbated the inequalities that are already present. And we can also see because of COVID-19 organizations that support victims of modern slavery have been severely negatively impacted and have not been able to operate at full capacity. So we've seen like the issue getting worse, more and more people being vulnerable because of all this inequality that's happening. And we've seen like the organizations that actually help them and support them have been harmed as well. Leila, you recently wrote an opinion piece about modern slavery for Teen Vogue magazine. Can you tell us more about your experience writing for the magazine and also about how writing helps with your activism? I'm probably more experienced getting rejected from publications than writing for them. Um, I have reached out to, God, so many editors, so many publications. One thing with writing is if you want to write an op-ed about an issue that matters to you, be prepared for rejection. I have been rejected from so many publications by so many newspapers. And I think one big thing is that, and that is obviously A, my age. I have not been to journalism school. I have not been to college yet. Again, I'm still in high school. And B, this is not really a hot button issue right now, even though it should be, even though it's a huge issue. Um, not a lot of people are paying attention to it. So obviously, like, 
there's not a huge demand for people to write about it, but I was very lucky. Um, the politics editor at Teen Vogue took interest in my story after I was rejected from her by her one other time. When I told her about the day of awareness I was organizing, I was able to write an op-ed for her. And I think with writing op-eds, uh, redrafting is a big thing. Sort of find your thesis. Why does this matter? What am I arguing? And, you know, bring in facts and bring in opinions. And honestly, writing, the big thing with writing, it just takes practice. I think um, for me, my skills are writing and public speaking. And I've been able, I've been very lucky to be able to write for publications like Teen Vogue. And I think I'm able to really express what is important to me and sort of express these issues through writing. Um, I also think like, again, reaching out, finding social media has been helpful for finding other young activists who sort of share my beliefs, then emailing them, reaching out to them, having calls with them and sort of organizing that way. I think technology is a huge technology. It does have a lot of harms, a lot of drawbacks, but it can can be used as a huge tool for activists to connect with other people and to start organizing with people around the world. Lela, in your opinion, what are the key skills one needs to have to pursue activism on important critical issues such as modern slavery at an international scale? I think there's no real like key thing you need to have. I think anyone, if there is an issue they care about passionately, can get into activism. It doesn't need to be on a huge international stage. I would say my biggest piece of advice is just to start, even if you're scared, even if you don't think your voice matters, just start speaking out on what matters to you. There are so many issues right now, it is overwhelming climate crisis, poverty, police brutality, gender inequality, lack of access to mental health treatment. What we need right now is more people to start speaking out, to start organizing, even on the local level, about what is important to you. So definitely don't doubt if you're not qualified enough. Don't doubt if you're too young, if you're too this, if you're too that. If there is an issue that matters to you, just start speaking out about it. Um, you can try and research ways you can have an impact, whether that's like raising money for a local homeless shelter, getting together a group to lobby politicians in your area, organizing a protest, putting pressure on your university to divest from fossil fuels. Right now, what we need is more organizers. And you, whoever is listening to the podcast, you can step up to the plate and you can do that. Also, a big piece of advice I have is to build coalitions. Building coalitions is super important. Try and get in touch with other groups in your area. Reach out to other organizations, other activists. See how you can help them with their campaign, how they can help you and really work on these issues. Because again, like, one person cannot tackle every issue. One person cannot completely change the world on their own. No one accomplishes anything on their own. So just try and work with other like-minded people. And like with that, we can really have a significant impact on a lot of the issues that are plaguing us right now. Lela, who is your biggest inspiration for your activism? Uh, probably uh, Malala Yousafzai. Um, definitely Malala is a huge inspiration for me. She is definitely what made me realize when I was young, sitting in the elementary school classroom, I saw her, I read about her story and I realized like she is a young person, but she had this huge, uh, she had this huge impact. Um, Greta Thunberg, like what she has been able to achieve at such a young age and really any young person who stands up for what they believe in, who takes risks and who like speaks out. Also speaking about activism, what are your future plans for your campaigns on modern slavery? So I think continuing to grow the coalition against modern slavery, getting more people involved, more groups from around the world. I think continuing to push dialogue on this issue is so important right now. And it is a huge first step because again, we need more people to understand that there are 40.3 million victims of modern slavery around the world and human trafficking is the fastest growing crime worldwide. Obviously I need to work to put more pressure on policymakers to step up to the challenge and actually tackle this issue and really work to implement the solutions we've been talking about. Um, and also putting pressure on companies to actually clean up their supply chains. So definitely more like advocacy. 
Uh, personally, I will be going to college next year. Um, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm in the process of applying right now. And I want to continue my human rights activism in college and for the next years to come, because again, I'm just getting started. Um, and then after college, I do wish to continue uh, pursuing a career in human rights and also in policymaking, because I feel like that is a big way to have a huge impact and to make the decisions I've been like lobbying for. I want to major in political science, most likely. I'm kind of open for a lot of opportunities. I'm applying to a lot of schools kind of like across the U.S. So we'll see where I end up. Lela, I wish you all the very best for your college applications as well as for your future campaigns on modern slavery. Thank you so much for joining with us today on Women in Foreign Policy's podcast. I'm sure a lot of young women listening to this podcast right now were truly inspired by your words. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lela. This is Women in Foreign Policy's podcast editor, Kritika Narayanan, signing off. Thank you for joining us for this month's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. In the last year, we've interviewed so many amazing women making waves in foreign policy. Going forward to 2022 and beyond, we want to help and inspire more women to do the same. With that in mind, we're changing up the format of our podcast just a little to give you more of a look into the world of foreign policy. We're starting out by looking at what are likely to be a significant foreign policy themes in 2022. Even the most skilled and knowledgeable of foreign policy experts cannot make concrete predictions. However, we've pulled our resources to give you three themes to watch in 2022. First, a return to great power politics. It will be no surprise to our listeners that the Trump presidency damaged American global dominance. Withdrawal from the JCPOA and the treatment of Middle Eastern and South American refugees damaged US credibility already in decline after the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Other states are also challenging American dominance. Russia is pushing on the Eastern European border, particularly in Ukraine. China is expanding its global influence through its Belt and Road and other initiatives. And Iran looks to be close to achieving the uranium enrichment necessary for a nuclear weapon. At the same time, the EU is growing closer, challenging American primacy as a liberal democratic great power. While we don't expect to return to the politics of the Cold War, it will be interesting to see if the UN becomes less efficient as it's caught between great powers and their allies. Second, a continued democratic recession and the rise of salad bar ideologies. In 2021, Freedom House recorded the 15th consecutive year of decline in global freedoms. Authoritarianism remains strong in China and Russia, who are encouraging their allies to follow suit. In some states, like Hungary, the COVID pandemic provided convenient cover for a tightening of government control. In liberal states, the far right and other extremist ideologies have also been gathering strength. In some cases, this has led to what the Foreign Policy Institute called salad bar ideologies, where extremist groups join forces with other campaign groups when it is politically expedient. For example, in Italy, anti-lockdown protest groups have been linked to far-right movements. This suggests that liberal democratic states will need to look inwards as well as out to defend their values. Finally, 2022 is expected to be another year dominated by COVID and the climate. At the time of recording, the Omicron variant is spreading quickly through Europe. Although initial research suggests it is more contagious but less deadly than the previous Delta variant, several European states have announced lockdowns or tighter restrictions. The best possible outcome for this variant is that it spreads quickly, providing immunity for the unvaccinated without overwhelming health services or mutating again. For the world to achieve a new normal, developed nations will need to redouble their efforts through COVAX and provide vaccinations to the developing world. 
while reduced international travel due to COVID, might have benefited the environment, the momentum around COP26 seems to have dissipated with the arrival of the Omicron variant. However, both the US and UK have seen more extreme weather recently. In the UK, two storms in quick succession left many without power and water, while in the US, 73 people were killed by a tornado. Extreme weather like this is likely to become more common should we fail to reach the goal of net zero by 2050. It is possible, though, that these extreme weather events will lend support to continued activism by individuals and NGOs, forcing governments to act accordingly. While we can't guarantee that any of these themes will develop, it will be interesting to watch what happens, and I hope you'll join us for that. On behalf of all the team here at Women in Foreign Policy, we wish you a very happy holidays and a successful new year. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on whichever app you use. It's the best way you can help and support us. If you'd like to hear more from us, please go to our website and subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter or follow us on Twitter at Women in FP. If there's someone you'd like us to interview or a topic you'd like us to discuss, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you.